Welcome to The Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Do you ever feel stuck in a moment you can't get out of? Well, maybe this episode can help shine a light in a new direction for you. Today, we're talking to inner work mentor, Christy Bartlett. Christy helps people peel back layers of stress, anxiety, conflict, and pain to help improve our inner selves and our emotional and mental well-being. We'll talk a lot about Christy's processes and how living vibrantly means taking a deep dive into ourselves. Thanks again for listening. It's time to get on the highway to well. Welcome back to the Highway to Well. Today we're talking with Christy Bartlett, an inner work mentor. The big pause and this extended anxiety about COVID, coupled with rising socio-political tensions, have caused a lot of us, including me, to really dive deep into what matters most and how I've been living my life. And then what can I do and how can I live a life of intention with my values expressed outwardly? Christy helps us make that journey to uncover how we got to where we are and what we can do to make our lives better. She's transformed herself in her career and has made her, her life mission to help people live their best lives. So welcome Christy to the Highway to Well. Thank you. Know, you. I'm excited yeah. to be here. It's This will be an incredible journey and, and I can't wait to dive into a lot of issues that we haven't really covered here on the Highway to Well, but really anchor back into our own lives. So this is uh, an incredibly exciting venture for both of us, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And to get started, so you're, you have evolved into and gone through several types of practices to get to where you are today. So I want you to tell me and, and tell the audience here a little bit about that journey. What, how did you end up into the field of transformation therapy and what took you, what, how did you, well, all the steps along the way, how did you figure out that this, this is the place, this is a place where I can do my best work. This is where I'm living my, my mission and my values and I'm helping people get to theirs. Yeah. I think it's always easiest to see this when you're looking back in retrospect. So looking back on my life, I'm 41 now to kind of what I'm doing now, which really feels like living within my purpose for being here. I think it actually started because I was born into a home that had a lot of trauma. So I was born to parents that have addiction issues um, and mental health issues. And I think everything started at that point, but of course I didn't know that. So I had to go a lot of years through my life. Um, you know, I have a business degree. I worked in a corporate setting. I was a manager to other people kind of coming into their, their first job out of college for, you know, a lot of years, close to a decade. And during that time, I really started noticing that I had a way of connecting people to their own inner resources. So what was it that they were really good at um, and how to take that part of themselves and apply it to what they were doing so they could be better at their jobs. So often, and, and still to this day, I'll have people that I worked with, you know, years ago in, in corporate that they'll reach out and say, hey, this one thing you said to me on this day kind of, it still resonates. And I, I remember it to this day, it really has shaped the last, you know, three jobs and iterations of my career. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I don't remember saying that. So 
what really kind of got me where I am today is I left the corporate world. We moved to small town, Wisconsin from bigger town, Wisconsin. And I started being a stay at home mom. And when I did that kind of um, everything from my past, that idea of everything starting in my childhood uh, kind of caught up with me. So um, I had to start dealing with the trauma um, and the, the adverse childhood events that I went through as a kid because I was being faced with doing parenting from the other side. And so I started working on myself. I had lots of health issues that kind of came up, cropped up all at the same time. And that led me down like a huge rabbit hole of alternative wellness outside of like what I was getting at my doctor's office, what I was getting at going, trying to go to therapy. And it led me into meditation and meditation led me into, okay, well, how else does the mind work? What is neuroscience saying about the mind today? And it all kind of culminated with me learning a lot. I, I love to learn. So learning a lot about these things, having some experiences with hypnosis and its transformative effects on me with my personal trauma. And then it, it, one day it just kind of crystallized. Okay. All these things you've always been good at your whole life, the seeing in other people, what they can't see for themselves, just like really kind of intuiting what people's true kind of, I don't know, core what they're good at and, and being able to speak to that. This is a way to actually do that work that's more powerful and will actually resonate on a deeper level because you can actually help heal them to see it for themselves instead of just other people seeing it. So that led me where I am. So in that process, I, I became a rapid transformational therapist at first, which is an incredible modality, a complementary modality, modality that uses hypnosis. Um, and it was founded by a woman named Marissa Peer, who is a British psychotherapist and then turned hypnotherapist and mentor. And from there, I've just learned additional techniques that deal with the subconscious mind because everything that I've found over this journey is that our life, how we experience life every day is created through the groundwork that was laid in our subconscious when we were children and then through the experiences after that. And so if we want to do anything transformational and get back to who we're supposed to be, we really need to deal with what's going on behind the scenes. And that kind of is how I got to what I do today, which is inner work with people um, to heal these subconscious issues that are showing up as health issues in their life, anxiety, issues with relationships. Well, that you, you've touched on a, yeah, you've touched on a couple of things as I'm thinking, you know, this is in, in my life history in the wellness field, we've spent, we spend most of our energies and we were talking about this prior to hitting the record button, just about scope of practice. And so in our, in our field of wellness, we have these broad, it's a, such a broad term and there's so many different interventions, practices, modalities, and different ways to get us to living our, what we say is like living our best life or making that, mm -hmm. making the best decisions we can to live a more successful and vibrant and happy existence. And then back out into all the different ways that that happens. And in a lot of ways, we, when we work with people now, especially in the work that I do when I work with groups or individuals on, on how to get you to live your life values, we, we do a lot of mapping and drawing. I try to use creativity to, to inspire them to get out of the conventions of how they've thought about everything and just have them draw and move things around and talk about their roles and how they can, how they, they can identify what they need to be good at or what are the troubling parts. Mm 
And then we go into some other processes. And one of the great things that I've done with people is to have them draw themselves as an object. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that helps them that helps them get past the person that they are into some of the actions that make them their actions, attitudes, and beliefs about who they are. So someone who really likes to build things will draw themselves sometimes as a hammer, you know, or people who work with others will draw themselves as a bridge. People who do a lot of, they feel like they're overworked in life are oftentimes shoes. And so we kind of set the template, but what you're talking about is now an extension of that into the, the trauma or the life experiences that build that. So that's a conversation that we, that we oftentimes don't have. And that a lot of times is that our scope of practice kind of ends at that lifestyle management, try to try to build those core values as you're doing, but now you're digging deeper into that, into that inner workings of us that can help release a lot of this. And, and so meditation and mindfulness are two of those practices that start to get us closer to our centers. And so I'd love to learn, first of all, explain more about how this process works when someone comes to you. But also, as you're talking about that, is I want to start diving into the what trauma really does to our bodies. And yeah. We know, but you're seeing it and through your transformation therapy. You're also witnessing live and in person those where those impacts are really, really um, holding people down in their lives. Yeah. It's a tr- I'm going to start with the trauma aspect of this because I think it's something pe- many people don't understand. Um, it's just, it's actually quite new science, really, when you think about how long we've even been talking about trauma as an impact on the physical body. Um, it's not that old. I mean, it's been developed in my lifetime. So trauma is really any event that creates a lasting impact on you, like a, a particularly something emotionally charged happens and then you make meaning out of it about yourself. And the way I see it is it's making an impact on your nervous system in that fight, flight, freeze response. Um, And so sometimes we get stuck in one of those responses and our mind is a pattern matching device. So we have an experience and your, your mind's job is to just keep you alive on the planet. So we have one of these experiences and your mind goes, okay, when this happens, we feel this way, that's bad, that's scary. We're going to stay as far away from that as we can. And then that's a quote unquote trauma. So there's big T traumas, little T traumas, clearly emotional abuse, sexual abuse, all of these things are big T traumas and things that are systemic that happen over and over again. But there's smaller traumas. Like one of the big ones that people don't understand is this idea of not being loved without condition as a child and how that is a traumatic impact on our self-esteem and our self-worth as a trauma in our life and how it impacts us. Because then we're going to be seeking ways to stay away from that feeling of not being loved without condition. So the trauma response may be, you know, procrastination so that you, or even overachieving so that you can earn love, any of these things. So this idea of trauma and its effect on the body is, is vast. I mean, it's like a, you could think of it on a continuum, could be small, could be large. Um, some people's trauma manifests in physical symptoms in their body. It, it certainly did for me with gut health issues um, because I was stuck in a fight, flight, freeze response based on the patterns that my brain was trying to match to keep me safe. And until I healed some of those things, my body was under constant stress. So 
what is trauma? It's a lot of things. How is it impacting you? Well, it's a lot of things, but mostly it's impacting your nervous system, which is the feelings and sensations you get in your body and on an organ level, on a cellular level, creating dis-ease in the body as your mind goes out there and tries to keep you safe from perceived dangers. Does that, how does that land as far as a a response to your question or, or the even digging deeper into trauma. Oh, that, that gets us, that's, that starts to help us think about this. And so I, I think, and, and tell me here what your thoughts are, but it feels like too, that, that flight fight freeze is also, it's not a static condition of in, in kind of like a, a one event, or I guess it could be a series of different types of events or, what I'm thinking about is what we're learning, and, and you hinted at that, that trauma is kind of a new science. And in the field of mental health is exploding with our understanding of how our mental health impacts our daily living. And that we are in your work and work like what, what I try to do and, and many others is we try to continue to break down that stigma so that we don't talk about mental health as a kind of a last ditch effort to save someone who is in deeply troubled uh, life, like whatever those, whatever the situation may be where it's gotten so bad that now we're, now we're getting to the mental health issues when those could have been prevented long before they could have been mitigated. Maybe they, you know, maybe not prevented, but mitigated is a better word, or there could have been something along the way that would have created a better environment and an ability and a skill set for someone to handle some of the issues that we face in life. So we kind of vacillate between these different fight, flight, freeze moments on a daily basis because we understand that our mental strength, our mental well-being is something that isn't a state of affairs in a bad situation, but it's in, it's in a broad way. That's just how we're living our lives. And the more we're learning about behavior change, that grows our deeper understanding of that process. And then when we learn that, then we talk about those impacts, like, you know, where trauma really fits into this and mm-hmm. not only trauma, but also, and perhaps, and I feel like maybe this was, this is a common occurrence. You know, one of the things that COVID life exposed <laughs> was that we've been moving so fast that we haven't really processed life. And when we don't process life, we may skip past something that could have been, or might've been really traumatic and we don't see it then because we don't have the time to do that. We're rushing our kids around or we have work and we have to get to different places. And, and then in the COVID environment where a lot of things stopped and we had this great pause, then I've, I've seen an influx of these incredible discussions about mental health and well-being. And yeah. so now, now that we're, kind of exposed more, we feel more vulnerable or we're, as a society, we're, we're a little more open to listening to different ways that we can um, react or help ourselves live better. You know, how has, so, so how has, or as we start talking about not necessarily something changed in your work with people f- during COVID, but as life has gone on, have you seen any changes or has the impact of the world that we're living in now created a different way of working with the people that you do? Yeah. So 
with COVID, the the way I see it in my framework of mind is that it just took everybody's underlying quote unquote issues. We all have them um, and turned them up to a 10. So <laughs> because it took away a lot of our coping strategies that may have felt healthy, overdoing, over scheduling, uh, moving, moving, moving. And we were stuck basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also added in that element, that greatest human fear dying on top of it. So it was like, here's a healthy, huge, gigantic mega dose of fear. And on top of that, we're going to strip away a lot of your coping mechanisms and you're going to be left like with yourself. Now, what are you going to do? Um, so what I saw with COVID was just a lot of underlying issues turned all the way up. So of course, more anxiety, um, more, lots of relationship issues because people were at home now with their partners, um, spending more time with their family. So maybe things that could get swept under the rug because they weren't spending as much time together were kind of coming to a head, um, boundary issues, things like that. So with COVID, I, I, I always think that anytime you're triggered, it's actually your it's life's way of trying to get you to deal with something because you're supposed to be healing. We're self-healing organisms. We, our body is always trying to get back to homeostasis. So that's how we're designed. So a reaction is actually an, an invitation to heal. So for me, I was like, all right, let's go. Like we're going to turn stuff up. That means we have even better access to release this. Let's, let's do it. So that's what I saw with COVID. And of course, everything else that's unfolded since then with um, social justice issues, Black Lives Matter, all of these issues coming to the surface, it's just more. It's like, here we go. Let's just heal the things. And you can't heal what you don't deal with. So it's just time, I guess, to deal with things. I'm like, I guess 2020 is like a dealing year. We're supposed to heal. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe in the future, we'll look back and call this the big heal when we were, we can only hope. <laughs> yeah, we had this traumatic set of events that this collective COVID cloud that opened up opened up a lot of things. So, I mean, I think history, we will have to go through history to understand what the template that COVID created for a lot of other issues that we absolutely should have been addressing for a long period of time, but they weren't addressed in the same way. And this environment is ripe for that process in a big societal way. So I really hope we look back and we say this was the big heel and, mm-hmm. and we got our way out of here. But, but so I want to, I want to take just a couple steps back into your work and mm-hmm. talk about, so if what explain a little bit more about your process with an individual and so, and, and how do they get to the point? And, and I know, through rapid transformation therapy, you're talking about a quick set of um, times that you're working with them to get to resolution or opening them up. And I want you to explain how that works, but also what happens like if people can't get there or they, or they're not willing, or they just can't get deep enough. And, and you know, that there's still some uncovering to do and yeah, talk a little bit about that practical work of what you do with people. So I'll take this and I'll put it in a couple of um, segments here. So let's first talk about the elephant in the room, which is hypnosis. <laughs> so there's, you know, hypnosis is something that you see in movies or you've maybe um, watched one of those like entertainment stage shows, cluck like a chicken things. And then and uh, some people have experienced hypnosis. There's medical hypnosis for procedures, dental procedures. And then there's, of course, like self-esteem boosting hypnosis. Um, and the way 
I like to talk about hypnosis with people. It's like you go to the grocery store and you need some ice cream and you're standing at, we're on a wellness show. Sorry, I'm bringing the ice cream in. Um, oh, perfect. I'm a fan. <laughs> so you're standing in front of, you know, all these refrigerated cases of like different choices of ice cream. And there's that many flavors of hypnosis. There's just lots of different styles of hypnosis. And all hypnosis really is, is a relaxation of the nervous system and allowing yourself to basically turn inwards for an inner awareness of yourself. And it's access to your subconscious mind. So to go back to, you mentioned that when you work with people, you have them draw themselves. And actually what you're doing is you're eliciting their internal metaphor of themselves, right? Because mm -hmm. that's how we make sense of things. So if somebody's a bridge or their shoes, um, part of the work that I do when I'm you know, mentoring people as we work with their own internal metaphors, because those are the things where they're better able to see how they deal with life and make changes. It really creates a shift for people. So your subconscious is always present. That's why you can get these metaphors. And you're basically going in and out of hypnosis all day, every day. You're driving your car and you are no longer thinking about when you have to, you know, put your blinkers on your subconscious mind. You have all of this programmed. It's just doing it for you in a state of hypnosis. So there's never in the work that I do, because I don't make people click like a chicken. I just have people review, you know, their past basically. And then we do some other interventions. Um, there's no depth that they need to get to so much as just an allowing of themselves to turn inward and let whatever's coming out emerge. Um, and it's like meditation with a goal, basically. So in order to get people prepared, what I have found over the course of doing this work is people do really well if they know what to expect from something. So when I first meet with a client and we kind of, you know, where we're, we're figure out where we're headed, where we're starting, where we're going, I give them a recording to listen to in advance. That's like a hypnosis recording. It's my voice. So they get familiar with it and it's them getting familiar with the process of going into hypnosis. And so by the time we get in session where we're doing rapid transformation, therapy itself, they already kind of know what that's going to feel like, quote unquote. And so they know there's no place to go so much as just like allowing it to come to them or this relaxation to happen. Um, so that's kind of one of the first hurdles is what is hypnosis and what does it do? Because in the hypnosis that I do, I'm talking to the person during the session. So when we're in an RTT session, rapid transformational therapy, which is about two and a half hours long, um, we're talking back and forth. So they can remember what happened afterwards. They're never out of control of themselves. It's not like some sort of deep mind control that you would see in a movie. Again, different flavors of hypnosis. So I don't generally have anyone that can't get there, so to speak. There's people that are nervous. There's people that have um, things in their past that they're worried about dealing with. And so we just go a little slower. Um, people who've had very, very traumatic childhoods that they're aware of, it's just going to be a slower process because we also have to work with their nervous system and what it's able to heal in what amount of time. But when you deal with things on the subconscious level, when you go back to root cause, where things started, because it's never about the things that happened to you. It's always about the meaning that you took about yourself from them. When you go back to those things, you actually have the ability to make new meaning of the situation with your mind that has more knowledge now. Um, so when I do rapid transformational therapy, that's the hypnosis part. I also do some other work. I do something called emotional resolution, which isn't hypnosis, although I would say in practicing it as a hypnotherapist, it is hypnotic. 
um, in that it's again, an internal awareness of yourself. This is kind of, you know, people journal and they actually are getting into their subconscious. The more you journal, the more deeper you can get and kind of unravel things coming up in your subconscious. I just do that work quickly. Um, when you do it with somebody, it's always going to go faster because I can kind of hold that 10,000 foot view as stuff emerges to see the patterns arising um, so that we can match them. But when you heal these things on the subconscious level in the feeling mind, then you stop being affected by the feeling, the actual nervous system response in your real life. And then you get to make new choices. So that's kind of the, the basis of the work that I do and, and that idea of what hypnosis is and, and how we use it. And so when you're working with your people and, and possibly others, I mean, you, you've worked with plenty of others and through your own training in the field. So one of the, and I'm going to ask you a question a little bit because us wellness folks, our Mm -hmm. biggest struggle is really making behavior change last. Behavior change is the most challenging of, of, uh, I don't even know, of skill sets you want to try and build in someone. Um, because of so many different impacts that they have in their life and different factors that are allowing them to see what their decision-making um, menu looks like. So, and there's so many different models and theories about behavior change and stages or um, different impacts and different factors that involve your decision-making process. And lately we've been breaking that even further down into that individual level into trying to look at how people can develop skill sets to make behavior change in small doses because making behavior change is so hard that a lot of people fail because they, they jump too far too fast and they don't have the skills and they haven't built the, the system per se to get them through there. We also rely too heavily on motivation as a factor in making behavior change because motivation fluctuates. And our, we're humans, we're completely fickle. So we change our <laughs> minds about everything all the time. So our motivation for something can be in flux. And so for us on, on our levels, trying to create patterns of behavior that can sustain that, that flood of emotion that, you know, so make non-emotional lifestyle decisions, even though that emotion is part of it, but did not rely on emotion because that's going to fade. And don't rely on motivation because that's only going to get you so far. And then we worry most about the relapse and what happens when, even if someone has done successful in making something change about their lives, then here comes another impact that thwarts that plan and they didn't insulate themselves from that. And so we may start be back at ground zero, which is what life will do if you, if you're not built, if you haven't built your resiliency or even out uh, when things are out of control, like a COVID, like a pandemic comes along and just uproots everything that you thought you, you had as you at your disposal. So in your work and when you're breaking, when you're working with people and you're getting to the point of, of getting them to their better place, what do, how, what do you see in terms of people that are relapsed in that behavior or they haven't quite made that entire emotional rewiring happen so that they come back and, and then there's other triggers that have now surfaced as you've, as you've gotten through some of those parts with them. Yeah. So talking about something like resistance or 
some behavior returning. The first thing that I think is really helpful for people to understand is we sometimes begin to guilt and shame ourselves about the behavior, about the resistance, whatever it is. And that's that in and of itself is always going to be detrimental. That's not helpful. Although it's a lot of how we are raised, right? You can just, if you just feel bad enough about it, you'll change your behavior. It's kind of how we <laughs> are taught to parent too, or, or at least, you know, how I was raised. That's how the parenting was that I saw. But yeah. the thing is, all of the resistance, the behavior, it thinks it's your friend in some way it thinks it's helping you. So when we can see it and be like, okay, well, so if this is trying to help me, what is it trying to help me do or help me with? You, you begin to reframe that even experience at that level. So first things first, whatever the behavior someone's experiencing or the resistance, it thinks it's helping you. It's a part of you that thinks there's a reason you need this to protect you, right? To keep you safe or keep you getting whatever, whatever it is it's designed to help you get. So that's first a framework to, to look at things with. And when you teach people that and they can start removing the shame and start getting a little more like, okay, so if this is helping me, that number one takes a level off that allows healing to come faster or a bounce back to happen if there is a relapse. Because there is people, we're people. There's triggers, there's new things, there's pandemics. And here we are. But what I see is underneath everything for everyone is going back to, it sounds cheesy. It sounds self-helpy. It's all of that, but it's absolutely true. You have to know that you're enough just as, just as you are. You have to know that you're unconditionally lovable, no matter your behavior, no matter your whatever is going on in your life, you're still lovable. These are just experiences. And so when you can get somebody back to their core root of lovability, loving themselves and reinforcing that for themselves, not ever looking outward for it, being able to do it for themselves, that impacts lasting change. That's the key. That's the golden ticket, if you will, to allow number one, if there's even like, I call them echoes, like as people grow and learn and change, there can be echoes of past, you know, trauma that reemerges like, oh, this core belief that I had, it seems to be kind of like flaring again. Okay, great. Well, here, what do we know about that? We know that you're enough and that you are safe or whatever the case may be for them. When they have that framework, when they bump into one of these hard spots, when a COVID hits, they're like, oh, okay, this is life. I can cope with this because I'm enough. And I know that on a level deep inside me that doesn't come from anything, any circumstance, basically. That's what I see in my work that makes the change. And it's when people can grasp that and start practicing that as a, you know, think about somebody who needs to, that wants to lift more weight at the gym. You don't just show up and try to deadlift, you know, 600 pounds. You start with what you can do and then you build up to it they're putting the reps in on self their own self love and that's the shift where where things huge things change and actually healing body healing physical wellness healing in your body changes as well i i absolutely agree wholeheartedly with where you started with that part of the conversation and and unfortunately there is that world of self helpy talk that has um, made a simple statement like you're enough. It, it, you know, like you said, it, you don't want to sound that way, but that is actually the truth of what we're talking about. And that is what I've really been, I've really been pleased to see that in our field and in our wellness field. So, and I come from the corporate wellness side where we're very much in a risk management, risk reduction type world. And now 
that we re- we recognize that that's not what we really need to be doing. Mm-hmm. That's part of a picture. And self-care and building skill sets for awareness of health are critical. But what we need to focus on is to get people to a state of loving themselves unconditionally and understanding what they love to do. And, and some of the best work lately has come in a couple of really good friends of mine that are doing this out in the field, Rachel Druckenmiller and Maggie Goff talk about these, the same set of issues and they're doing it in different ways in their own practice. But what we're really talking about is getting to the root of lovability. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, there's a healing process that happens and in different modalities and different interventions in different ways, but it's all getting to that same picture. And if we understand that, we probably have a clearer understanding and a deeper appreciation of what our why is. Yep. And we know on the behavior change side and in years of research that we can compile that shows when people understand that they have a purpose, when people are optimistic about their life, and that usually are those two things go together, then they tend to be healthier, have healthier attitudes, beliefs, and actions and behaviors. But they also understand that um, they, they may face a difficult situation, but that doesn't take away from their ability to try to live a well life. Yeah. And that is that is a state, and that goes back to exactly what you're saying. And that's what's so beautiful about the work that you're doing is to get to that. And again, it's not in it's not to say it's in a self-helpy way, but that's really what it is. And yeah. and the more we continue to work on that end of that personal self-love and self-confidence, then all these other issues we spend money and energy on are are going to dissipate or they're going to be mitigated in much greater ways. And we see that even even in a in a what we ran a program that was a on the unintended the unintended good metrics that we found in this program where people were losing weight and keeping their weight off over a two-year period. And all we and instead of running a weight loss program, we ran a self-goal setting coaching and physical assessment program where we could have conversations with people to figure out what they can actually do and, and then what their why was. And it, yeah. and the metrics on that were better than any of the what I would call traditional wellness weight management type of programs that have ever we had ever run. And so mm-hmm. when we started assessing how does this happen, it it was because the person we had in the coaching room was very good at breaking down barriers and talking to people about what they really love to do. Yeah. That was how she started. And that went that proved to have longer legs than some of the things that we've been used to. And so like in your work here, those you're getting at really the core th- pieces to wellness that we're talking about and you're bringing in this perspective and this whole different set of practices and modalities to get to there. And yeah, that, that's yeah. really the central focus of what we should be doing. It is. It's, it's interesting because it's always, there's the thing that people come to see you for, and then there's the thing that they really need. <laughs> and <laughs> yep because it's always just a symptom of some underlying issue. Um, And we've done a lot. There's a lot of ways you can deal with the symptoms, but it gets to this, what's underneath, what's underneath is the thing that's going to heal what's causing the symptom in the first place. And I mean, 
it's funny to think about who I was as a person, let's even say six years ago. I moved to, to where I live now eight years ago. And it was a it was at that point that I started like having to make a huge shift. And it's first started out with I've got to eat different, you know, I've got to heal my body through food and exercise. And then it was like, okay, I've done those things. There's this other like big thing lingering here. Let's deal with it. Um, and I can remember when the self, my self-worth started changing, how my actual life view started changing and how that life view impacted everything I did. It was easier to eat well because it was just like, well, of course I would do that because I'm worth, you know, spending money on food that tastes good to me and preparing it in a way that, you know, feels nourishing for my body and my family. It just shifts everything. It's like, it's quite magical. And I think that's why like when people do the work with me that I do afterwards, they're like, it's hard to describe what's happened because I feel so different because we've gone to a worth level inside themselves and a lovability self-love level that is really hard to reach if you're not actually dealing with subconscious things that are getting in the way of that. And most of that stuff was established in childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the road to that, that road to that recovery is, is a long one. And, and then there's different like punctuated parts of it where, you can do what you do and do get to there quicker, but then there's all these other aspects of their life that are probably happening in conjunction with that or other issues that are, or that they're trying to work out or like, like even some things that come up, like you talked about a lot, seeing a lot of people have relationship issues during times like this and just the stress of managing your kids' lives. And so all these other impacts start to happen. And yet that when you get to that, like, what you're talking about is getting back to those root causes and those root causes are embedded in our wired and we're wired on how we're raised. And so mm-hmm. digging deep into that and just digging into the dirt of that is such a um, powerful pathway to get there. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the most important advance that's been in the last, you know, 25, 30 years is knowing that we're not, you know, we're not cement at 18 years old. We're not who we're going to be for the rest of our lives based on who we were at 18. And that's how it used to be like, oh, that's just who you are. That's your personality. That's, you know, you're going to be like this forever. We now know that your brain is like plastic. It's moldable. You can build new neural connections in different ways. You can think about life in different ways, but it's all, it's repetition. I mean, our brain learns by repetition. So if you keep operating off the same core, I'm not lovable, I'm not enough, you know, terrible internal belief structure, then you have the same results. And of course, then it would feel like you're always going to be the same. But when you can change at that root level, then you get the ability to have a growth mindset, to be a different person, um, to have different habits in your life and have different actions and, and results, basically. Yeah. And then, and then in that path, I also, I, and this is a conversation that I've had with other people around in our wellness field as we've all now gotten into our forties, thirties and forties. And now we're all parents too, is the ability to be reflexive about how we were, how we were molded in a way that has later come up in the way that we want to live our lives. And we take a step back and we say, as much as we love our parents or, you know, the teachers or coaches we've had along the way, this just wasn't the right way. And I had, and I, and I, I was, I was damaged in some degree because of those situations unintentional of, you know, the people involved in my life. But 
these things happen. Now we have the ability to be reflexive about that and say, I can't let that happen. I can't be that kind of teacher, coach, or parent, or I'm going to try to set myself and, and move in different ways with, you know, my people I work with or my family. And so that I can make sure that we don't allow, you know, like you talk about conditional love and, you know, for all of us who grew up playing sports, every coach we had was based on conditional love. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's just part of the practice. And, and I've been, and I'm, I'm a coach and it was, I've made it my life goal to not be that kind of coach because it's the conduit for building those life experiences. If I base everything on conditions, what am I, I'm not really teaching anyone anything. They're just mm. worried about merit and not worried about developing their own resiliency and skill sets and all these different other things that happen when you create a more like a healthier environment that fosters their creativity and their own purpose. And so I love that, you know, that's what, that's the, that's another thing that we've been I feel like that's a conversation that's continuing to come up now is our ability to be reflexive and make those changes to how we see the world now. And it's interesting because I don't think there's ever a way to do it so that somebody could come out, quote unquote, unscathed with, you know, all of their lovability intact. That's okay. It's okay um, that we're going to all make mistakes because you could have two different people. Let's say it will take the, you know, the coaching comparison. You could have two different people on your team that you're coaching in exactly the same way. And they would take different meaning because of just, you know, how their view of the world is. And so it's almost like, this ability to be more compassionate that everyone around us is just seeing life through their own experience of the world. And it's not about us. It's like the less we can take things um, on as being about us, the more we're able to just like let things go. That's almost more what we're teaching. Are you letting it in or are you letting it go? I feel like that resiliency and those coping skills are even more important to help people actually just continue to recover their in their internal knowledge that they're worthy and lovable. They have to have skills of recovery to keep these things intact for themselves. So it's almost because there's just never going to be you know, with kids, it can be as simple. I mean, when the work that I do, I take people back to events in their lives that they've taken meaning from so that we can actually change the meaning. And then that changes their life. And it's sometimes really small things like a parent telling them to go to bed because it's the parents annoyed. Maybe it's 10 o'clock and the kid's been out of bed. Now the kid's like, well, I'm not lovable. My parent won't come and lay with me. And the parent loves them, but it's just, their parents and they've had a long day and there's other things going on, but they think it's about them. So I had to really reconcile the idea that there's never going to be a way to do any of this perfectly. But my most important thing is to build resiliency and to be like, okay, well, what meaning are you making about that? Is it true? Because if you actually let people go inside like that, they have all those answers. They will inherently heal themselves if they look at it and allow the truth to, to basically come forth. And, you know, that if you're doing that on your own, it can take quite some time. Um, but you can do it on your own. You can do it through journaling. What am I believing about myself that simply isn't true? And then just keep asking yourself that question. And eventually your, your mind will self-heal itself. It wants to return to knowing that it's lovable and worthy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of wonderful points in there. And I, I definitely, it is that compassionate point of view where you, once you, once you really understand that everyone is viewing 
their experience through their lens. And it's not about you. So whatever leader role you have with a group or as a parent to a family, once you understand that there's, there's a experience that is, is there for someone else, then I feel like you are setting everyone up for a better opportunity to own that experience and make choices that help them in those experiences. But also it, I can tell you on my side as a coach, it feels better than I feel like when I was raised as a coach, I don't think I had a single coach. I would have thought we all had an opinion that mattered. And so <laughs> it was all my way. And we all understood that. That was just, that's just part of what it is. But now you, you look back and you're like that, man, that was, <laughs> that was an interesting and cold environment. And mm. I just don't want, I don't want my players go through that. And so, and again, then I, the people I work with in any wellness programming, same thing is understand that they're going to have different points of view about the situation or whatever I'm working with them on. And and all of this is wonderful, beautiful, and okay. Absolutely. It's interesting because the more I've done this work, the more I've realized like anything I'm judging in somebody else is just something that was rejected in me as a child that I have to heal. So I see that idea of, you know, anything that comes up that I'm like, I don't like that about them. I'm like, "Mm, are you letting yourself be that? Like, it's okay to be that. It's okay to be that. That doesn't mean that that's who they are as a human being. That's just this one moment in time, them expressing themselves. And like, you're safe to do that too, Mm -hmm. right? It's okay for you to have a bad day. It's okay for you to sometimes be a jerk at the grocery store. You don't want to live your life like that, but it helped me develop. I kind of have this 80, 20 perspective on things. And it really developed from parenting. Cause I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get this right a hundred percent of the time. So I'm going to need to set myself like this strict 80, 20, 80% of the time I'm going to be damn good at this. I'm going to use every (laughs) skill in my toolbox. Like I'm going to I'm just going to be present and patient and all of this. And 20% of the time I have permission to be the worst and that's okay because I needed that valve. I needed that. I needed to let myself be like, that's okay. You can repair this. If 20%, if it's only 20% of the time, you can repair that. That's no big deal. If your intention is to be a good parent and to be more good than bad or as a human or as in your job, you're, you're already winning. So I was like, okay, every, am I doing 80, 20? Does this go in the 20%? Cool. Like live, learn good. We'll just set that aside and like, we can get back on track now. Yeah. And usually the 20% creates the best stories anyway. So half the time you just, you just shake your head later after whatever's happened that you're like, oh my God, that was really awful parenting. Yeah. And then, and then you just shake your head and like, let it go. This is the relapse, right? This is the relapse. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so in Christy too, you, so you also have a podcast. I wanted you to get a chance to just express a little, talk to us a little bit about what that's about. And then we'll put in, um, we'll put in our intros and everything, the links for people to find that too. So, but you, you've been doing this as well. And, and how's that? I, it's really been quite a learning journey. So the podcast is the whole point podcast and it's myself and my co-host is, her name is Serena and she is also a rapid transformational therapist. And, um, the podcast kind of was born from our, 
us just talking to each other about the interesting things that we're into and exploring all sorts of things. Um, you know, some things that would be considered like woo woo. And then some things that are like, yep, this is like health stuff. We have to go here. Um, but mostly it's, we always think of it like this, what kind of information would I need? Like on a Tuesday night when I'm just like in the, in the mire, like what, what could maybe be helpful? And then we kind of just get guests or talk about things that fall into that realm. So it's been really fun, but as with anything, when you're starting something new, it was definitely a labor of how can I, when I'm not perfect and this isn't as good as I had it pictured in my mind, how am I still lovable? And is it okay to put this out there? And that in and of itself has been such a healing experience to do. I don't know if you find that, you know, doing this or, and I mean, I find it in all of my work, but um, it's been a fun process. Yeah. I, um, what I joke with another friend of mine who does podcasting that this is our therapy. So, (laughs) so we go through and invite people that we want to talk to as a, as a way of therapy for us. And then we share our experiences and, and, how it's so imperfect. And yet if you, if you sit and go over the details, you'll drive yourself crazy. You'll never let anything see the light of day. So, um, as I, as I said, before we started recording, I tend to let it go and let the imperfection show and be messy if it has to be, because that is who we are as people. Yeah. It fits perfectly in my 80, 20, 20% of the podcast is going to be like, I wish I could edit that out. And 80% is going to be amazing. (laughs) Exactly. Or, Oh, I don't know if I have that skill set yet to edit that one little section. So it's just going to have to stay. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Enjoy. Um, yeah. So it's in, yeah, the the whole podcast experience is, I think for all of us, it starts with, you have a conversation with someone and you think maybe we should record this. Yep. And then here we are, (laughs) <laughs> talking about all these amazing things. And I, I knew it was going to be a really good conversation today. And I believe in fate kind of like, I'm like a, say a 70, 30 person on fate. I think there's absolutely things that happen in our lives that are meant to happen and we have no control. And if we have our eyes open, then we see the light and our life improves. And then I try to be practical the other, say 30% of the time and say, there's no way science says that that can't happen this way. <laughs> but when I drove over here to, to record, um, as I pull out in my driveway, you two stuck in a moment you can't get out of was playing on the radio. And I just was thinking, oh my gosh, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Mm. And so fate has it that we were supposed to do this podcast today. And, and you two being, of course, my favorite of all time, it only helps <laughs> that it made me put me in a happy place as as I started over here. So I feel like that's um, a good blessing to have over the podcast. You too. That's a good blessing. (laughs) Yeah. You just have Bono, you know, on, maybe get him on. We can talk to him about. I'm I'm here for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That would be a dream. That would actually be the dream. So, um, as we, so as we wrap up here a little bit, is there, uh, I want to give you a chance to share, you know, what your, what your thoughts are about the, about where we are and, you know, what can people do to help themselves and what is it that you would want to tell people um, to move forward in these challenging times? Yeah. I mean, I think something I tell all of my clients is you didn't come, you weren't born onto this planet being anything but lovable and worthy of whatever was wonderful things that were going to emerge in this life. And I know that for a fact because, 
I've never met a baby that didn't love themselves, even with drool and snot hanging all over their face and expect to be hugged and loved and paid attention to. So I know that every person is like that. So um, get back in touch with that part of yourself. And it's as easy as asking those questions of yourself. How am I worthy? How am I lovable even in this moment? So I really, really encourage people to do that. Um, but as we go through COVID and really healing as a country, um, just remember that everybody is coming from their own unhealed trauma in some way. So people who are having a bad day, people who don't want to wear a mask, people who insist on masks, all of that, any of that stuff is just an invitation for us to be a little more compassionate and understand that it's just a lens through which they're seeing the world. And a lot of that lens is fear right now. And I personally don't think fear is real. I mean, it's real, it happens, but I don't think anything that is at the level of fear is needs to be our reality. Um, so I really invite everyone to just kind of switch those glasses out for themselves and be like, how can I see this person with a little more compassion? Like, what's that fear and how, how must that make them feel? And how can I just let them off the hook for whatever belief structure that I have internally? I think that in and of itself could heal the world. I mean, my favorite meditation is loving kindness meditation because as a practice, you go in and you actually not only send love to yourself and your loved ones, but you actually think of, you know, a really difficult person and you send love to them as well. And I, there's something so healing about that because it allows yourself to see you in the other and have you see the other in you. And that's actually how we'll act, fix all of the stuff that's broken, in my opinion. I, I absolutely agree and i hope that if anyone's listening they go back and just rewind a little bit and and follow through on listening to what you just said i it that's i know we break down our field into so many different ways to get to the same place but the place yep. we want to get to is what you're talking about and there's all these different pathways to getting there and some need different pathways than other but ultimately those are the goals that we're reaching for and if we can arrive at that, then the world will end up being a better place. Yep. I don't care how you get there. Let's just all <laughs> head in the same direction, shall we? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Christy, thank you so much for your time. And, and if people want to find you, they can find you at christybartelt.com. And like I said, I'll put um, your information in the intros to this and our, where, we're, where all the different places we're posting this. I just want to say thank you for your time and, and appreciate the work that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was wonderful. Thanks. We'll, we'll try to chat again here soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.